Welcome back to another episode of Chats with the Starving Artists. Thank you guys again. Happy New Year again to everybody listening. Thank you everybody that's been subscribing, leaving comments, leaving feedback, ratings. Very, very much appreciated. If you haven't left the rating, please do so. It's very, very helpful. Um, it creates more visibility for the podcast for people that are listening. So just, just please continue to just give me as much feedback as possible. We got some more exciting dialogue coming, more inspiring dialogue coming with some amazing people up. And uh, today got really, 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 really dope creative does some really awesome things and um, just really have had the opportunity to watch this person grow. So no further ado, I want to welcome Justin Tinsley to the show. Thank you so much, man, for, for taking the time even after this, this heartbreaking day. But uh, thank hey, you so much. Hey, we went through it together, though. That's <laughs> yeah. all that matters, man. We went through it together. But, man, thank you for having me on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Appreciate that. So real quick, tell us, tell us who you are, where you're from, and what's your creative discipline. All right, the elevator, elevator pitch about me, I guess I could say. I'm 30 years old. I'll be 31 on February 1st. Born in North Carolina, moved to Virginia. I pretty much claim Virginia out of anything. Went to Hampton University with yourself. Yes, uh, we were both class in 2008. Grad school, went to Georgetown, moved around a little bit, lived in Chicago, moved back home, lived in D.C. for a little bit, moved back home. Moved back to D.C., moved back home, and then I moved to L.A. Stayed there for a year, and now I'm back in D.C., and I've been back in D.C. since, I want to say, January 2016. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that's it as far as, like, traveling-wise goes. Okay. And what would you say your creative discipline is? I mean, I know, but... Oh, yeah, yeah. I would have to say uh, writing, journalism, storytelling, right. know, stuff like that. I think that's interesting that you say that. And even going back just two seconds, like, I didn't even know you did Chicago and L.A. I didn't even know you had those stints. I, yeah. I thought you were here most of the time, especially after after grad school. So nah, that's, nah. that's it, dope to know you were bouncing around. When I first bit. started with ESPN in, like, January 2015, uh, they presented me with the option. It was like, do you want to move to Bristol, Connecticut, or Los Angeles? I'm like, <laughs> well, <laughs> that's the easiest question anybody's ever going to ask me in an interview. So. Right. Yeah, I lived in L.A. for about a year, man, and then I moved back over here because once we hired the new editor-in-chief, Kevin Merida, uh, he wanted to decide to be based out of D.C., mm. and I had the choice. I could have stayed in L.A., you know I mean? I could have worked remote, but I knew for what I wanted to do in my career, it's best to be where, like, the main hub of the site is, and yeah. honestly, man, that's been one of the best decisions I ever made. I, I love L.A. I love a lot about L.A., but, I mean, just this past year, it's been, like, I could say... You know what I mean? Knock on wood, because I hope the the street lives on. But that, this last year has been like the best year of my life. Yeah, I, I've, I've been watching from yeah. you know from New York, from yeah. afar, and even you saying wanting to not move to Bristol. Bristol's a a, a, a silo in its own. I mm -hmm. used to work on ESPN in my agency days, and we I went out to Bristol numerous times to yeah. New York City, and that drive in itself, and it always made me drive. Mm -hmm. So that drive yeah. in itself, man, was a nightmare. But I think you you touched on something as well, just kind of talking about your creative discipline. You know, you said you're a writer, but I like mm -hmm. the the kind of the nomenclature and the verbiage that she uses is, yeah. is, is storytelling. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's, in my opinion, I think that that's lost right now in creativity, mm -hmm. just in general, across any creative discipline. If you look at music, you look at film, you look at writing specifically, you look at just art, like fine art and, and painting and photography. And, you know, people, I think we're in a generation right now where everybody just wants this instant gratification and just kind of want to be popping immediately versus mm -hmm. like putting in the work. And even when we look at the artistic disciplines like photography, you know, people are like, hey, I'm a photographer now because I got an iPhone or I got, right. yeah. I got, a, D, I got yeah. a D5 or mm -hmm. whatever. You know what I mean? But then when you look at, you know, if they're going to put together a body work, a lot of people still don't know how to tell stories. And I think that's mm -hmm. even an interesting angle that you look at yourself as, not even boxing yourself in, but right. being able to tell stories. I think that's really, really dope. And, you know, going back to Hampton, man, and, and you always had this... I always knew something was different about you in a good way. You know, not only were you a Cowboys fan, so right. there was like that sort of gravity, right. gravity towards you, but you always had interesting perspectives, in my opinion, like on music mm -hmm. and on sports. And even looking at like, we look at people we grew up watching, like Amar Rashad, right? Stuart Scott, right? Absolutely. You know, and, Craig and he's Sager. A, yeah, you know? Craig Sager. He's, yeah. he's a, and with the exception of Craig Sager, these are black people that yeah. you know. It's kind of like Dan, because I know that's why I studied journalism. I was like, mm -hmm. man, Stuart Scott, I want to be on ESPN. Yeah. I want to. He was everybody's inspiration. Right, right. So it's just mm -hmm. interesting now that you know the way you write, even you know dissecting a little bit of some of your, some of your your published work, like the mm -hmm. Marvin Gaye piece. Yeah. You know what I mean? That that, that was like a. That was a story in itself. Mm -hmm. So can you just talk about a little bit of why you say storytelling versus just like, hey, I'm a writer. 
You know, why, why you why you look at yourself as in that creative way? Man, I think because man, there's always beauty in storytelling. Yeah. You know, like there's always something dope about like, hey, um, I know about Marvin Gaye. Just using that as an example because you brought that one up. Just using that, a lot of people know about Marvin Gaye. A lot of people know his songs. I think a lot of people know he went through like some tough times in his life, and I'm pretty sure everybody knows how he died. Yeah. You know. But I like learning about stuff like that, and it's like, hold on, I read it like in a paragraph in a book one day. It was like, yeah, during, you know, Marvin's brief, you know, NFL tryout career, whatever, whatnot, blase, blase happened. I'm like, wait, Marvin Gaye tried out for the NFL? And I, I think that's cool because I think if you can tell people something they don't know about something they do know about, yeah. I think that's dope. And if you can definitely, if you can tell them about something they don't know and then they're more interested in it after you tell the story, I think that's powerful, man. That's a way to like live a long, long time. Cause you, you just talked about instant gratification. Like, I mean, it's, it's you can you can get popping real quick a lot of ways out here, but you don't you don't want to do it for the wrong way. Yeah, and that's in any walk of life for sure. You know? And I I just know uh, my grandmother she always tells me she was like, look, if you if you can tell a magnificent story through words, like you you'll live for like a long, long time. It, even past like when your physical goes on, like your words live forever. And I think that's pretty powerful. And I and I've always liked that. For sure. I mean, is that the angle that you take, right? Like, you're a journalist. Mm -hmm. we, both, we both were in Scripps Howard School of Journalism Communications. Yeah. And when you look at somebody that's a journalist, it's very much on the reporting side. Like, if we mm -hmm. just kind of look at what we see. Journalism is storytelling. Right. Absolutely. Enough. But you look at it just kind of like interviewing. Like, hey, tell me about this or tell me about this new project. Tell me about... So th is that the angle you generally take to make your... To, to, to set yourself aside from, you know, some of your counterparts... You know, when you look at it, I think it's also interesting, we'll get into that in a second, that, you know, you're somebody as a journalist that's not just in one sort of journalistic lane, right? right? Like, yeah. you're not just doing ESPN and doing sports, like, you're talking mm -hmm. about music and mm -hmm. you're, you're relating to music to culture. So, mm -hmm. when you tell these stories and when you kind of, when you go into an assignment, is that sort of, like, the approach that you take is yeah. like, all right, what story? Like, what what story can I tell about whatever my, you know, subjects are? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you always want to try to find something that hasn't been talked about about that subject, or if it has, it hadn't been talked about a lot. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm always trying to figure out a way, like, you know, just to, for example, I've, I've done a, like a few stories, like visiting the White House. I, I was there for when the Cavs visited the White House. Yeah. That was the same day Trump, like, was came. I think that was like two days after the election. And, and so, you know, I went into it, and I, I was like, man, I, I need a story. They was like, yo, can you go to the White House to cover this? And I'm like, dang, I, I got to come back with something. Yeah. You know, they, they ain't going to send you to the White House and not come back with anything. So I was, and you know, I just looked at it from the perspective. And I always think if I ever, like, get stumped, it's like, yo, what would, like, if I'm sitting in a room with my boys and we just talking about something, like, what would we be talking about? And I always, that always helps me because sometimes you try to write with too flowery of words. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? We just finished watching the Cowboys lose a heartbreaker, man, like, if, if you want to say, man, that game hurt, it did. just say that game hurt. You don't have to say the ending of that contest was so consequential <laughs> on my soul. Like, come on, man. I'm not writing, like, a, a romantic love story right. novel out here. Or prose, yeah. Like, yeah <laughs> I, just, I just, honestly, one of the best pieces of advice, yo, write how you talk. Okay. Write how you talk, and then you'll go back and edit it later. So I always, I always look for angles in a story that really hadn't been uncovered. And because that's fun to me, man. Like, researching that type of stuff, like, having to go look it up. I love, like, reading, like, old New York Times articles, yeah. old, like, stuff from, like, black newspapers back in, like, 60s. Like, when they're covering, like, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King in the Civil Rights Movement, like, in real time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I think a lot of times when we look at stuff, we look at it from, like, a romanticized point of view, you know? Right. But, you know, I love going back and reading stuff that was, like, yo, this is what they were saying about Ali in 1968, how he's a, how he's a traitor to this country. He's a race traitor. He's this, that, and the third. He, he promotes, like, hatred of white people, blah, blah, blah. But when he died, he was like, he was like, you know what I mean, a, a, a walking most, holy figure. Yeah. He was like, a, he was like, like the sports philanthropic. Coach. Yeah, like, people had all these great things to say about him. But you remember what people were saying. And I think, I love, I love hearing about those type of stories. Yeah. Like, one story that I haven't done yet that I want to do, and... It's about Richard Pryor's like, hmm. like, like social awakening, and a lot of that came by debating with the Black Panthers out in like California. Wow! So a lot of his comedy that you hear, like that we love, Live at the Sunset Strip, you know, what I mean that 
N words crazy, you yeah. know. No, you can say it. Oh, okay, yeah, it's called like that nigga's crazy. Yeah, and, like that's a dope. That was a Grammy. They had they had that. I saw it at the museum yesterday, mm-hmm. and yeah. I didn't even know that that was up there. And I was just like, man, it made me want to go back and start listening to yeah. the albums of the comedy. I go back and listen to Richard Pryor albums all the time. One, they funny, but like they so like educational in a yeah. sense. Though he's talking about like. Richard Nixon and Watergate in real time. He's talking about like black people having issues with the police in 1974, not being able to go out and have a good time, or worried about getting stopped and pulled over by the police. Like, he's talking about that stuff back then, like right. 40 years ago. Right. You know. So I think I love hearing about stuff like that because you could put so much of life right now into perspective then, and telling those type of stories. And you know, it's just if you think your homeboys would like to start, I always use like the homeboy pH test. Yeah. You remember back to like, <laughs> like science test, you had like pH paper, whatever, yeah. whatever that used to, as you can tell, I forgot. Um, it's like, yo, if it passes that pH test, like, yo, my homeboys would probably find it cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or my close friends. Like, it, it's just, I, I, I don't want to write about somebody dying at 72. I want to write about, yo, back in like 19... 86, this person did this little known story, and this had changed his career or his or her career moving forward. What's, like, yeah, what's, what's, what's generally when you do stuff like that, when you do the Marvin Gaye, when you mm-hmm. even, I, I'm going to look forward to this Richard mm-hmm. Pryor story now too, but like what's generally the the reception and the response when you do stuff like that? Like Man. from even your peers, right? Your, yeah. your, your peers and your coworkers, mm-hmm. and then your peers is in the homies, the friends, and then even the people you don't know. What's those responses like? Man, it, it, it's been overwhelmingly positive man you know it's, it's cool especially like when i turn a story into my editor and she'll be like yeah that turned out totally different than how i thought it was she was like that, that was great because i remember there was one story i pitched my editor it was it came out right right before like it was during like campaign season election season it was on wilt chamberlain and why he supported richard nixon in like 19 in the wow. 1968 election wow and if you go back that could almost be controversial. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Because, you know... That's I mean, a story. Because, you know, Will Chamberlain never spoke... He, you know, he wasn't like Bill Russell. He wasn't like Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali. You know, he wasn't those type of guys that would always speak out in terms of, like, racial injustice. He was he was one of those type of dudes, like, man, I'm getting this check from, like, <laughs> Chevrolet. You know what I mean? So I'm and, I got these, my, and I got two girls right here waiting for yeah, me. Yeah, man, he, he lived, like, that Playboy lifestyle. So, like, he wasn't really involved in politics, but it wasn't until... He saw Martin Luther King in his casket where he had, like, this awakening, like, I got to, like, support my people. And, like, and through his mind, he thought Nixon was the candidate. So that was very controversial in, that, like, 1968. So my editor thought she was like, man, Will Chamberlain, Richard Nixon, uh, well, I'm going to trust you on it. Go for it. And I, I, you know, I interviewed some historians. I tried to interview people who were close to Will. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I put the piece together and it came out great, man. I love doing those times. I don't get to do them every time because you got to find the right story to tell. Yeah. But every time I get to do them, man, that was that was great. I did one recently on, like, why Donny Hathaway recorded this Christmas and how he wanted it to live longer than he did because he wanted to create, like, a black holiday anthem. And hmm. I, I interviewed the dude who was, like, best friends with him at Howard. Um, he helped him record it, you know what I mean? So I, I love telling backstories like that. I mean, I, I think if you're telling a story about, like, a dope topic that, you know what I mean, a lot of people – Either are aware of or like, like people love Donny Hathaway. Like, yeah, for if sure. It, if it wasn't me, like my aunts was gonna love that piece. Yeah, you know what I mean. I, I got a, I got a lot of love from my, like my aunts and her friends about yeah. that. You know, but I, I just, man, I, I, I think right now at this point in my career, I know it's a dope story and what, how, how I can tell it dope. I can't say, you know. I'm taking every dope story because I'm not because you literally yeah. can't tell every story. But. Yeah, you don't know how it's going to end mm-hmm. out. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can only just kind of know what your what your idea is and what mm-hmm. you hope for. Yeah. What what's, we I think we come we grew up in a time of like being where we are being millennials, right? Like we're kind of like in the middle of the millennial sort. We're like middle upper end of the millennial uh, uh, demographic or, or age bracket, whatever you want to call right. it. Mm-hmm. So we come from we we come from analog. Mm-hmm. And we are more technologically savvy than our parents and a couple people, you know, people a little bit older than us. Right. So how did you transition, like, how we used to do things in the past, right, to, like, and I think you kind of, from what I saw, right, Mm -hmm. like, even some of your writing online, when we came out of when we came out of college, that's when in two thousand eight, that's when the real real blog like yeah. blog boom was happening. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And even like you have like two dope boys, you have all these different music publications yep. that were just starting, yep. and now this is no more. Print is is starting to fade away. Mm-hmm. You know, so 
knowing that you wanted to go down this path, being a print journalism major, you know what I mean? And like, okay, my work's not going to be published on uh, in print. You know what I mean? It could potentially mm -hmm. be published in print, but now there's this new thing. Like, how was how hard was it to adapt for you? Was it hard at all? Because nah. I feel like we were kind of there, yeah. so it was pretty. We easy. were there when like newspapers were. They weren't like the last leg, but they were still around. Uh, I, I think I kind of just knew, man, like, you know, online is going to be where it's at. Yeah. You know, like more and more people, like, you know, the iPhone was out at that point. So you're yeah. starting to see, like, yo, I can really, like, surf the Internet on my phone. I right. can read stuff on my phone. Like, people, I I kind of saw, like, that's where the trend was going. But to be honest with you, man, I didn't really start taking, like, writing seriously like that, like, after school until maybe about, it was, no, it was that summer. But I didn't really take it serious until, like, the summer of 2008. And, hmm. You had mentioned, you know, places like, and I've been a big fan of Two Dope Boys on Smash. You heard that new, you know, Miss Info. They used to have all the songs, you know what I mean? That, that's how I used to get all my music back at, uh, when we were at Hampton and yeah. make all those mixtapes and stuff. I used to be on them joints heavy, and I was The next thing you know, you're writing for some of them. Yeah, boys. and I was like, damn, well, I saw what they were doing. They had kind of, like, cornered the market on in terms of, like, getting exclusives, you know what I mean? I was like, man, I, they, that, I'm not going to be able to get, like, a Lil Wayne record before them yeah. or, or Beyonce record before them, you know. So I was like, what can I do? I was like, well, I'll take the songs they post and I'll just write about them. Like, why I think the mm. song is dope, you know what I mean? Who produced it, you know what I mean? Highlight some, like, dope lyrics, I think, and, like, what those lyrics actually mean outside of the scope of just music. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I, that, that was like, all right, I can do that. And... You know, people responded to it. They was like, yo, man, I got the song. It used to be, yeah, I got the song from here, but I came to your site to read about it. You know mm. what I mean? So I, that's when I knew I had found a niche like that. And shoot, man, once I got on with uh, Karen Civil and once I got on with uh, the smoking section in like 2009, I was like, man, I'm going to just go for it. And like, you know what I mean? I like it. I got, I got a, I'm building a nice little audience. And. It's fun. If nothing else, man, it's therapeutic. Like, you know, you remember back then, man, the economy was just, like, terrible, yeah. dog. Like, we were you were blessed if you were able to yeah. just come out now, with if something. You, if you had a, a good job back in, like, 2009, 2010, like, you were, that was a blessing, man. I went to grad school to escape the workforce because I couldn't find <laughs> nothing I wanted, That's man. smart. That's smart. You know, I went there. I mean, I was only there for a year, and then after that, I was just like, yo, to, by 2010, I was just like, I'm going balls to the wall with this. I'm going to yeah. just keep writing. And I wasn't even getting paid at that point. Yeah, what was the, I mean, in that time, right, like mm -hmm. 2008, 2009, you starting, you, you mm -hmm. couldn't really find nothing you wanted job-wise, you go to grad school, mm -hmm. and I think looking at people that are writers, freelance writers that, you know, write for a, a bunch of different publications if they don't, yeah. if they aren't uh, a, a, a regular sort of staff contributor, you know, the game is to, you know, be able to contribute in other places, mm -hmm. right? So for you being in that sort of freelance world like I freelance before as a producer so right. you know I get paid off of a day rate versus like number of words or lines per story or whatever the case may be mm -hmm. like what was financially like what, what what was the craziest thing you faced right because you know you're not you're not 18 so right. it's not like all right cool I can get this $200 and be good and you know if you can make that stretch I know how to make mm -hmm. that money stretch but right. you know it, it gets challenging not being able to have something sort of legitimate Mm -hmm. And as an entrepreneur, I just I know that on a day to day basis of like, dang, I'm not getting paid on the first or the fifteenth, mm -hmm. so I got to hustle my ass off to to get this next bag or get this check, yeah. you know what I mean, and get this thing yeah. popping off, you know. Absolutely. So what in that time frame when you're in school, you start to write for a smoking section, Karen Civil, you know what what were you kind of thinking and financially where you wanted to be, and then as far as like having these these different publications that you're contributing to, yeah. you know, what was kind of the toughest part that you've kind of faced and, and trying to figure that out? I mean, the toughest part is, is really, because everybody, like, we're all different people in the scope of like the world, like we're all different people, but we all, for the most part, we experience like the same emotions. Yeah. You know, you get angry, you happy, you sad, sometimes you're scared. Yeah. And this shit was plenty of times, dog, especially during my 20s where I was scared as, scared as shit. I was like, damn, man, I ain't got the job I want. This is this is not really working. Like, the writing thing's going all right, but I don't know if it's really going to work. And then sometimes, dog, you have, like, those, like, come-to-God moments where you, you hit that fork in the road and you're like, damn, man, like, this ain't really going the way I wanted to. I should just buckle down over here and just, you know what I mean, just tough through it. And then... You take go to the left, and it's like, man, just keep going. You never know when it's going to pay off. 
And thankfully, I went left. And honestly, man, I could honestly say, I'm not even trying to be dramatic when I say this. I promise you, I put my right hand, if I had a Bible right here, I, I will. Yeah, I put my right hand on the Bible. <laughs> and I, I promise on everything I love, I'll write and save my life, yo. Write and save my right. life. Now, I'm not saying I was going to do anything to myself because I wasn't, but I was in a real, real dark place at times, man. And I would go to, I would go to jobs I didn't like. But I appreciate it for having them at that time because I needed the money. And... I mean, I, I I sold like insurance. I sold like payday loans. Mm-hmm. I, I I worked like front desk at like uh, a, a, a a receptionist basically at my mom's friends like uh, psychiatry practice. You know, mm-hmm. I did that. Um, I was like a, a, a what was it? A server at Ruby Tuesday. I worked at Pac Sun. Like I was doing a lot of shit I didn't like to do, man. And I got a government job. It was cool. I mean, it paid well, but. Writing contracts isn't what I wanted to write. You know, that's mm. way too technical. I, I didn't want to do any of that. So. <laughs> you want to do that writing? Yeah, I mean, they laid me off after a year because they had layoffs, and honestly, it, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. And so I came back home, man, and I was working. And I, the whole time, I'm still writing on the side. Like, I would go, my schedule was I go to work from like 8 to 5, come back home, go to the gym. As you can see, it's still trying to pay off but you know uh go to the gym for like six to eight work off some steam come back home and i would literally write from like 10 to 3 in the morning damn you know what i mean and it's not because i had to because like it was an escape you know what i mean it's like ah man yeah um you know what i mean kobe did this lebron did this or whoever was playing you know what i mean like yeah let me go home and write my perspective on that mm. you know what i mean i remember when kobe went through you know what I mean? He he had that stretch of games in 06 where he was just dropping 60. And, like, this is when he proved, like, all right, this is why I'm one of the best players in the league. Hmm. I like writing about that. Writing about a dope album that just came out. And that was cool. And after a while, man, you start to see yourself improve. It was like, damn, like, you know what I mean? That was that was all right. That was right. I'm getting better. And more and more opportunities just started becoming available. But they were still freelance. You yeah. know what I mean? Think about freelance. You can make a lot this month, and yeah. the next month you just like, I mean, you really living paycheck to paycheck. That's a fact. You know? So, it would be point in time, like, dog, well, I just didn't want to do anything, and I would just want to quit. And I, I, you know, to Max's credit, Max would always tell me straight up, he's like, man, keep doing what you're doing, man. You got a real gift, this, that, and the third. Like, yeah. sometimes you just need people to save you from yourself. Yo, Joel, Joel, you know? it's, it's funny you say that, because, like, I look at, so Max and Joel are a couple of our friends, for those that don't know. Aren't familiar Joe's with the cool. <laughs> that aren't familiar with the, the, the Hampton University circle. And it's interesting you say that because I remember even like a year ago or so we're in January. This mm-hmm. was this was in the summer. This was in the summer. And, you know, we had a group chat going and, and Joel always says, I think Max, one of them said it. And then I came back and said it to Joel. And I found out that it actually came from Joel. But, you know, Joel's just kind of saying, like, man, you need somebody to just Put that put that battery in your back sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's crazy He's sitting right here. Just yeah. you know, you bring up Max, yeah. and we have Joel, the other, you know, the yeah. other, the other one. But the other it's just, ego. Yeah, it's, it's it's crazy you say that because like, you know, I, I definitely know that struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, being being, yeah. I'm not, I'm a, I'm a creative business person. I think you mm-hmm. know what I mean. And I, I used to shoot and do stuff, so I'm creative in that sense. But like, you know, I don't. I, my gift isn't 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 telling a, a story per se you right. know, isn't putting a putting a body of work together it's more putting a body of work of like opportunities together if I can but having that support and that community is like one of the biggest things to kind of keep you going yeah when you face self-doubt when you face like damn I, I don't I don't even know what my account is reading right now but you mm-hmm. know what like it, it, I think it's great that you just kind of stay you you decided to stay the path and and go mm-hmm. left when you came to that fork versus, you know, while, and I think you kind of did a good job of doing both, right? Like, mm-hmm. you were able to be responsible enough to say, all right, I got to pay these bills. Let yeah. me go get a job mm-hmm. and do something that I don't want to do. You know what I mean? But I'll still be able to to create. Like, you, I, I assume you created a, a whole body of work. Like, mm-hmm. did any of the stuff that you were writing from 10 to 3, did that get published anywhere? Oh, yeah. That was, like, on the smoking section, for the most part, I was okay. um, I started writing at this space called the Sports Fan Journal. Yeah. My man Ed and Kenny, they started that site back in like 2011. So that's where I did like a lot of my sports writing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I, I I credit them too. I did I did a lot of really good stuff over there. And was it was it because mm-hmm. because you were doing it? Was this were these assignments or Mm-mm, because was, because you had this time and this was your release? Yeah. You know, was it just stuff that you wrote and said, hey, I got this. Do you guys want to take mm-hmm. a look at it? And then yeah. they would publish it if it was yeah. dope. Yeah, yeah, for the most part, I, I, I mean, I just come up with my own content ideas. You know, mm. I, I, I think one of the big things, especially, like, I mean, 
in creative in the creative world now, whatever that may be, like if you got dope ideas, even if you don't know how to fully execute them, if you got dope ideas, dog, that'll get you a long way. Yeah. Because if you got dope ideas, somebody will put you with somebody that can help that's you know fact. piece together that puzzle. And that's God willing, you know, I can keep coming up with good ideas. That's been, I think that's been my biggest viewpoint because I, I like making sure my ideas are unique. You know what I mean? They, they I, definitely I, are. I'm not just saying yeah. that because I know you and you're the homie. Like, I mm -hmm. think that you're, you're like one of those dudes that's like, we can sit here and talk about, I'll just say music because I know mm -hmm. that that's something we can talk about forever. Right. You can sit here and bring up and dissect why you think March Madness is one of the greatest songs of all time. You know what I mean? And, and we can just sit there and be like, oh, March Madness is dope. It's, uh, I listen to it when I get da-da-da. But then you'll give a perspective that yeah. I might not be thinking about or somebody else that might might not be thinking about and not even just talking about like musicality and production. You know what I mean? But yeah. then you, to your point, breaking down the content and the lyrics of like, yo, did you hear what he just said? And mm -hmm. wait, did you know five years ago he did this? And that's actually what he's talking about. And yeah. So I've, I've always thought, you know, even going back to, to, to the James Hall days, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Just... You always had this like vigor about these sort of subjects of music and sports that's always just kind of been, you know, just uh, it, it, like this. You when you smile when you like write it because I've never mm -hmm. not seen you smile. This is also crazy. I've never not really seen you smiling. Yeah. Even just now, yeah. like in this thing, like yeah. I wasn't really looking at you too crazy, but yeah. I've never really not seen you smiling. Yeah. So you know, just you always had this vigor to you about your shit, and I and I respected that. You know what I mean? And you always was just kind of like. You know, and it, I feel I feel like that kind of that that transcends through your work that you create. Man, yeah, that and you had just mentioned Stuart Scott earlier, dog. He a big reason for that. Like Stu Scott could like he could talk about sports, but he would make them joints sound like cool as hell. He, yeah. he was he was just as much part of like the world of sports as Joe Montana, as Ken Griffey Jr., as Michael Jordan, whoever you want to name that was big when we was coming up. And I used to always like the way he talked about sports and like weaved in storytelling, like tell people stuff they don't know. Like you know you know LeBron nice. Yeah. Like you don't like nobody needs to convince anybody of that, but like tell me something about like LeBron I didn't know. Maybe something like that, something he learned in Miami that's helping him in Cleveland now. Yeah, you know, or, you know, tell a unique story like that. Don't just tell like a box score story, right? right? You know what I mean? Like such and such had this. Uh, no stories are definitely needed. Don't get it twisted. I just you know I, I'm more of a fan of the, what's the story beyond the ripple. You yeah. know what I mean? You throw a rock in the ocean, it's going to make a big splash. But I want to tell the stories that's like rippling from yeah. on, on the outside. Yeah, two twofold sort of thing mm -hmm. that I just want to think about, right? Like, so you mentioned Stuart Scott. I mm -hmm. imagine that was one of your inspirations as far mm -hmm. as looking at a journalist, right? Mm -hmm. But then looking at people that were not on the journalistic side of it, mm -hmm. whether it be athletes, whether it be musicians, artists, right? Mm -hmm. So who were your inspirations? Like, who were your journalistic inspirations that you kind of grew up watching or that you grew up reading? And then in, in the fields of music, sports, and culture, like, who were the people that you were inspired by that kind of have kept you saying, like, yo, like, you know what I mean? That kind of put you down your path that you're on. Ooh, like, all right. Um, in, in journalism, obviously... Yeah, like we said, we said Stu Scott, he was great. But, you know, he was like a TV journalist. Yeah. I, I never wanted to really do that. Well, I'd be lying. I think every kid wanted to be a sports center anchor at some point. Right. Um, I mean, I wanted to. And if the opportunity ever came, I would definitely I would definitely take advantage of it. But in terms of, like, writing, Kevin Powell was big. Mm. Kevin Powell used to do a lot of stuff and vibe. He told a lot of, like, the East Coast, West Coast stuff back in the day, like, I got a picture of the Rolling Stone joint right there. He signed it. He, wow. Where it was, it came out like a month after Pac died. And okay. he basically wrote Pac's eulogy. And yeah. like that joint, it was, that was one of the big, more powerful pieces of my life. Um, so he was big. Um, my, honestly, like my editor, Danielle Smith, hmm. she was a big, she was a big uh, inspiration of mine. You know, uh, who else, man? Just, I mean, they weren't music or sports, but like, obviously, you know, James Baldwin. Uh, mm. Alex Haley, you know, I I think the I think the autobiography of Malcolm X is like the greatest book ever written. Yeah. You know, I, I go back and read it like every four years because I think I learn something new from it every time I read it. Yeah. So you know, people like that, people that could tell like really really deep, powerful, rich stories. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, Arsenio Hall was a, was a big inspiration for me because he was like the first late night TV host to really embrace hip hop. Mm. And he told like That's an interesting perspective. Never he really told, think about it, but it's a yeah, fact. like his first run, man. He he does not get the credit he deserves, dog. Like he used to have everybody on that joint. Pop 
yeah. Jordan, Magic Johnson. Like if you was black and you was popping in the like early nineties, you was on that joint. Martin That's Lawrence. A fact. Yeah. You know, everybody was on. So I, I was I was a big fan of him. Uh, and I know like a lot of just random info, dog. I, I don't know why I do, but it's just it's just watching sports over the years. And I, it'd be like Matt Penfield. You remember that? Remember that guy from MTV? Like he'd know everything <laughs> about like every song. Like that, like literally everything about every song. He would talk about a Nirvana Kurt Cobain verse, and then jump right back into like Bone Thugs and Harmony, talking Yo. about East Eternal '99. Like he know what he's talking about. I'm like, how does he? He was like. He was like genius.com right, before right, the right. internet blew up. And I was like, damn, man, that's pretty... I was like, I don't know how I do that, but I just just like read like album like notes in the book, you know, see who wrote on this. Um, you know, and I wish that still existed. Yeah, me too. I do too. But, you know, just stuff like that, man, and, and sports who inspired me. Uh, obviously, I mean, if you grew up in the 90s, Jordan yeah. was a big one. He was a big one. I, you know, I was a big Cowboys fan, so like I was yeah. a big Michael Irvin, Troy Aikman, Smith fan. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr. most definitely. Um, who, who? Hey, you know, you know who else? You know what else I wanted to do? And it was like I guess they, they, in my eyes, they were like they were like journalists, but they were like cool, like young and hip. Like you remember Bill Bellamy, Dan Cortez from MTV? I did. Well, I actually, I didn't. I don't remember Bill Bill Bellamy on MTV though. I, yeah, he was on there. Dang. Yeah. You remember they used to have like the rock and jock basketball game? Oh yeah, yeah. I used yeah, to yeah, always yeah. want to play in that. I used to always want to play in it. So I remember like you still got time. You might, you know what I mean? They, they need to bring if they bring it back, I would do it. But you know, it's just stuff like that. And so you know what I mean? If we writing something on like MTV celebrating this 30th anniversary or something like that. Yeah. Nah, then I'd be like, yo, man, let me do like an oral history of rock and jock basketball. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause one, I, I like picking stuff that I know is gonna like fuck with people like emotionally in some sense. Yeah. Like that. Not like it, but it's always great if you can tap into emotions. Yeah. Because yeah, it stays with you longer. And yeah, mm-hmm. and that that creates an experience. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You always want to create an experience. Always. So yeah, I mean that's just me, man. I just try to I just try to remember certain like core principles, man. Like, is it emotional? And it, 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 are people gonna feel it in the same way I'm feeling it? Is it unique? And can I tell it the way it deserves to be told? Okay. Is Kevin Powell still writing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because yeah, he, he, he goes, to, he, he actually goes to my church up in Harlem. So oh, for real? Time to time. Yeah. yeah. And I know, I know he's very much involved in a lot of philanthropic work and mm-hmm. sort of community organizing work. Yeah. So I didn't know that if he was he's, still writing or not. He's done some stuff for the undefeated. I know he just published something on Cam Newton not too long ago. I think for okay. Huffington Post. But yeah, so he's still around. He does like a lot of activist work too, though. Yeah. You know? So he's always lot. on the road. A whole lot. A whole yeah. lot. He he was definitely. I had a chance to meet him out in L.A. We got a chance to really, really kick it, man. I told him straight up. I was like, man, you're one of the biggest inspirations to me in my life, man, because he was young. He was like 22, 23, and, you know what I mean, the source sent him out to cover some rapper from the Bay named Tupac Shakur. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's how they became real tight. And, you know, so mm-hmm. he he would tell me, you know, deep stories about what been, what went on in the 90s and, you know what I mean, how journalism saved him. And I, it, I draw inspiration from a lot of that because, I want one day my name to be mentioned, like, with Kevin Powell's name. Yeah. I want that, you know. I I want in the end, like, when I'm 50 years old, I look back when I'm 30, I'm like, damn, I was killing it then. Yeah, you, you know? should, and you should. Yeah. You, you think, or you talk about Kevin Powell's relationship with Tupac. Do you, is relationships with artists and athletes, how big is that for you? Is that something that you're working on now, or is that something that you kind of had, like, because, I, I mean, your your stories aren't really, like, yeah. you talk about current stuff, you relate a lot of your stories, mm-hmm. but, like, to even the Marvin Gaye, even you talk about Richard Pryor, that's, you know, that's not really, not I won't say it's not relevant, because I think it is yeah. relevant, but it's not happening right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, do you, are you going to get to a place, and do you have those relationships with some of the people in music, and, and as in artists and even athletes, to, to kind of help you build that body of work? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. You know, you just meet people. On the humble, sometimes you meet them on the fly, and you be like, "Hey, man, let's keep in touch." And it's more so like publicists, you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's not like you're gonna be in, you know what I mean? LeBron is just gonna hit you up, yeah. like, "Hey, man, watching this game, what you doing?" And it ain't gonna be, it ain't gonna be nothing like that. But you want to develop a good enough relationship with the people around these people because you figure the the ones that everybody wants the attention of, the and I mean the LeBrons, the Currys, or whatnot, they got enough going on. So you need That's to be fact. able to influence. Somebody on that out circle, outward, you know, in that circle that they, they can vouch for you. Like, hey, this is a really good journalist right here. He's going to tell the story how it needs to be told. You're not going to write a fluff piece, but he is going to tell the truth. 
And, you know, I think at the end of the day, people can respect the truth. Yeah. You know, regardless of how much it may hurt, but I think they can respect it. So it's all about establishing, you know, when you go to conferences, you meet people. And you know how it goes, man. You just establish yourself with the people around them. Do you, do you go to NABJ a lot? Mm, actually, man, NABJ, this is my first time going this year. <laughs> yeah, it was ironically here. It's crazy. I got the, I got the bag from, yeah. from, like, Hampton, mm -hmm. one of our career fairs they yeah. came. But I've never went. And well, I'm not even a journalist anymore, but yeah. you know, I kind of went in a different direction. You should still go, man. That thing be right. You know it's in New Orleans next year. Oh, man. All right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to look into that. Well, it's in New Orleans this year. Excuse me. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Spe speaking of that. Right, looking at mm -hmm. our Hampton experience, I think as our dean when we were there, we had a very well respected journalist and mm -hmm. Tony Brown as a dean of our communi journalism and communications school. Absolutely. Not 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 even talking about him, but did 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 the school did Scripps Howard play a part at all for you in kind of shaping how where you are now and even where you've been in the past or where you want to go, like. Would you say Scripps Howard has played a role? Or did it help you at all or not? And it's not to, because I love my alma mater. Right, 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 right. You know, I love my experience there and the, the things that I didn't get out of it have shaped where I am now, I believe. So, you know, I don't, like Tony Brown didn't necessarily help me in a lot of ways because I was a rebel. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the faculty actually yeah. didn't bang with me because I did things my own way. When and that's and it's interesting, like everybody in the industry that would come and speak at the school, they'd be like, "Nah, you just got to create this. Go do it. Don't wait for anybody to." And mm -hmm. I remember senior year, Professor Professor Leonard. Mm -hmm. I took. I was a marketing minor. I took the camera equipment out to shoot something for the major, and then because I was a marketing minor, I was like, we did. We had a group project, and I was like, "Yo, like, let's shoot this commercial." Mm -hmm. And I came back and was editing it, and they were like, what are you working on, Ian? And I'm like, oh, so I'm from a marketing class. And they mm -hmm. sat me down in front of the whole faculty, and just, like, it was a big thing, and, like, talked to my parents. Yeah, I didn't even know all that. Yeah, it was, was, like, it? It was senior year. It was senior year. Oh, it was wow. crazy. Like, they, and I'm just like, yo, like, this is, y'all don't understand that people in the industry are telling me you have to create your own thing. You have to, you know, like, well-respected people in the industry. Mm -hmm. So, like, did, were, did Scripps Howard help at any any point or any of the faculty there? Like, I just want to know just one hand, Tony. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, be perfectly honest with you, man. I think both levels of school, uh, uh, you know, higher education I went to, undergrad and grad, I think the biggest thing I got out of both of them was just the people I met. Hmm. You know what I mean? People who I knew. Like, it, it just, I can't say that, I, I don't want to make it seem like, oh, Scripps Howard didn't help me, because obviously they did. You know, yeah. I got to meet a lot of dope people there. But even then, at that point in my life, I didn't even really know what I wanted to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I didn't have that set in my head where, like, oh, man, I want to be a broadcast journalist or I want to be a print journalist. I, I, was made, I got my degree from Hampton in public relations. I had no clue what I wanted to do with that. I just got it because it was a nice degree. I had no clue what I wanted to do, man. <laughs> and, like, in um, Georgetown, I went there for strategic marketing and sports industry management. I had no clue what I wanted to do with that. I just knew I was, like, safe in school again. And then give me some more time. But I... I do credit when I do credit Hampton with this man. Senior year, I think it was fall '07. Senior year, I took a class, and it was like an elective. It was just like intro to blogging. I'm like, man, what, Wait, what, what school was this in? It's Scripps Howard. What? Yeah, yeah. It was like how to it was like how to start your own website and run okay. it like that. So that's what I called it. And I was like, man, let me take this. Like, I don't really need it. I don't. This is kind. This is gonna be kind of corny. Like, I hated the word blog. Yeah, you know what I mean. I, I I'm still not a real big fan of that word. I mean, now it's dated. Yeah, now it's dated. Yeah, hell yeah. But I wasn't even a big fan of. It. Then I was like, I got my own website, you right. know. But so the dude, the dude who taught it, ironically, his younger brother went to high school with me, and we didn't even know at the mm. time. But his younger brother was like two years older than me. If that makes mm. sense. And so I just took the class, and I'm like, man, I'm just getting here, get this grade, and get out. Yeah. But then, like, I ended up sitting in the class. I was like, "Yo, this is, this is the, this is what's next." I wish you would. Too. You know what I mean? This is what's next. Like, everybody in there just looking, just trying to, and doing what I was going to initially do, just trying to pass the class, to pass the class. But I'm like, "Yo, this is kind of cool, man." Like, and it wasn't until that next summer that I really used what I learned from that joint. But I created that class with changing everything. Who taught it? Dude named Venable. Never heard of him. Dude named Venable, dog. Uh, Malcolm Venable, cause yeah. His so name he was, was an adjunct. Mm, I think so. Yeah, he was real. He was super young. He was super young. I only think he was thirty when he was Damn. teaching. So he was getting private university bags. Yeah, yeah. He was. He was. He was cool, man. I ain't seen him since. It's crazy. Damn. Damn. That's 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 kind of ill. I like that. Have you ever? 
I mean, you've done, right? You wrote mm -hmm. for different publications. Now you have a great gig at ESPN. Mm -hmm. um, have you ever thought about just kind of branching out on your own and just kind of just having that? You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like just doing your own thing? Because you, you created a, a site, right? Yeah. And I'm sure they use that as like a portfolio sort of hub. Yeah. I mean, I, I've thought about it. I mean, look, if you asked me what my goals were when I turned 30, when I was 25, there would have been one thing. Now that I'm 30, you know, I, I'm, I'm pleased where I am, but I still got places... I want to go and things I want to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Hey, one day, man, I want to be like an international like feature writer, right? Or whatever the case, you know what I mean? An international like investigative journalist, dog, where I just like travel the world and tell like dope stories. Yeah. You know what I mean? I I want to be able to like do that. Like I still want to, you know, one day, not now, not, not anytime soon, but I still want to see like my name like the New York Times or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I want to write a book. I want to write a couple of books. So, I mean, I still... I'm sure you have a lot of material just waiting yeah. for that book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's all a matter of deciding what I wanted to be about, you know? And it'll hit me when it's supposed to hit me. But, uh, nah, man, like, it was that one class. Mm. Changed everything. Hmm. How much... I have to ask this question. Mm -hmm. I can relate to it a little bit, but how much of a fulfillment and a dream is it working for fucking ESPN? <laughs> Man, this is this is the craziest shit ever happened in my life, dog. Like, I I never how I got the joint is crazy. Um, I was working in Richmond at the time. I was working at the uh, housing authority, the Richmond Redevelopment Housing Authority. Okay. And I credit that job. It wasn't my favorite job in the world, but I credit that job with giving me so much perspective, dog, on everything in life in terms of just shit I write about. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because I'm I'm working in like uh, a, a public housing project, mm. like, and I have to go to like visit like four or five or six of them a couple of times a week, like and on some sociology, like a social mm -hmm. worker. Like I'm I'm doing like public relations for them, but they will always have like events where you know they try to get people from the community engaged and yeah. sign up and stuff. So I would always go out to that, and like it, it put a lot of stuff in perspective for me. And it, how I got the job was I was working at the time, but I came back to homecoming in 2014. <laughs> I came back to homecoming. You remember that's when they used to have the day party in the uh, student center. Oh, in the student center, and they yeah. had it out by five. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. That. It used to be rocking in that joint. Yeah, yeah. It used to be rocking. So I, I'll give you the elevator picture of this. But we at the um, we at the joint, and I step aside to send a text off, and one of my frat brothers comes up to me, dude named Fred Davis. Mm -hmm. He crossed in 03. And he came up to me, he was like, Tens, man, uh, I enjoy your writing, and I want to, you know what I mean, I want to introduce you to somebody working at ESPN, if that's cool. I'm like, hell yeah, you can introduce <laughs> me to somebody working. But at the time, you're thinking, man, this ain't true, man. Everybody here drunk, you know what I mean? Everybody knows somebody when they get when they get drunk. So I'm like, all right. So he didn't do it that day, but like something, when I got to work that Monday, man, something was like, yo, let me reach out to Fred, see what he can do. I reached out to Fred, five minutes later, he was like, yeah, my fault, bro. Here, here it is. Her name is Kalila. And, mm -hmm. and she, I, I credit Kalila with so much. And she was, um, she was working for Mike Wilbon at the time. Mm -hmm. And so she, like, she is like the master networker, dog. Like, she is such a brilliant, like, business mind. And she knows how to talk and meet people. So, send her an email. And she's like, all right, do me a favor. I need you to send me, like, 10 or 12 of your best pieces, whatever you think they are. I'm going to shoot, I'm going to shop them around. And I can't guarantee you anything. I'm like, yo, at this point, even if she doesn't get me anything, this is farther than I've ever gotten in ESPN. Because you try to apply for a job online, and you never hear anything back. Never. It's like you're throwing your resume into, like, a black hole. Yeah. And so I'm like, all right, whatever, dog. So I closed my door in my office and spent, like, the next 30 minutes just looking up stuff. And I sent it to her. And she was like, damn, that was pretty quick. All right, cool. She was like, all right, I'm going to send this stuff around. And I can't guarantee you anything, but we'll see. I was like, bet. So we kept in contact over, like, the next two weeks or so. I'm literally, I'm coming back up to Alexandria mm -hmm. for a wedding. I'm riding with my homeboy Justin and his wife. Mm -hmm. And we're going to a wedding of a high school classmate, man, because he's getting married up here in Alexandria. And I get a phone call from a 202 number, and it's Kalila. And she was like, hey, um, what you doing tonight? I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm going to a wedding, but I'm staying, like, up here tonight. What's up? She was like, all right, well, make yourself free at, like, 8 o'clock. And I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, yo, somebody at ESPN want to talk to you. I'm like. Get, like, get the fuck out of here, man. <laughs> get the hell out of here. Don't nobody want to talk to me. She was like, nah, go go to the wedding, have fun. Don't drink too much, but, like, go ahead. So they called me, and it was a uh, matter of fact, yeah, they called me, and we spoke 
we spoke on the phone for uh, probably about an hour just talking yeah. about stuff. You know what I mean? It, it was dude. Uh, it was Jason Whitlock, the mm. dude who was originally going to run the undefeated. Uh, he's, he's with Fox Sports One now, mm. and you know, he he was starting the site, which became known as the Undefeated later. But you know, he was still like in charge of it. You know what I mean? I met him, had a couple of interviews. This I met him in November 2014. Dog, I'm literally moving to LA January 2015. Like, it, like so the whole point of it is. Like, you work for years. You do all these jobs for years that you don't like. You start questioning yourself. And, like, man, ain't nothing going to shake. Ain't nothing going to work. That you get told no, like, 99 straight times. And on that 99th no, it's like it's like getting hit with, like, an uppercut in, like, the 13th round of, like, yeah. a prize fight. Like, you stumbling back. Like, man, I could just go down and end this joint and just go on about the rest of my life. Or I could get up and just finish the fight. You ain't got to win it. Yeah. You got to finish just it. Just finish. Just finish it. And so I did that. Nah, they... I waited for years for that to happen. And my, my mom telling me all the time, like, yo, just, like, chill. Like, everything going to work out. Everything going to work out. My mm. grandma telling me the same thing. And I'm like, all right, Justin. All right. All right. Keep you calm. Keep you calm. Keep you calm. And that was it, dog. They asked me. It, it, it happened from homecoming 2014 and literally, like, a day after Stuart Scott died. That's when I got on the plane to go to L.A. Damn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It happened like that. In the blink of an eye. In so you, the blink of an eye. So is, it, is it you just staying, staying mentally strong, keeping faith, mm-hmm. having that support system? Those are the things that kind of got you through? Yeah. Yeah, had to, man. Like, you got to have a strong support system or whatever you do. Or you're going to break. Like, a person is only so strong. Yeah. You know what I mean? A person only takes so much. Even the most strong-willed person before they break down. That's dope. That's dope to know that you had your mom there because I think mm-hmm. a lot of times, like, a lot of parents could be in a position to be like, no, you need to go do this, you need to no, go do that. She was never like that. She she would always ask me, like, what am I doing in terms of that? And she she would tell me, I need you to get a job, but she was never like, stop writing. She was like, yo, keep writing. Yeah. Keep doing what you're doing, because that's the only thing that's, not the only thing, but, you know, that's what's making you happy. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I got, like, two more questions. I know mm-hmm. I had to get you out of here so you can just, you know, enjoy the rest of the rest of your time, but how big of a role has that like that thing happiness played to you right because like i believe that happiness is something that comes from within Mm -hmm. i don't think that people can make you happy i think that people can add to your happiness Mm -hmm. right so how big has like you knowing that this is what you want to do this is the path that you want to go down even coming home late at night from working odd jobs and stuff that you don't want to do and working from 10 to 3 you know to put in the work Mm -hmm. and that's kind of like your outlet you know, how big of a role has that just played as just part of, like, the journey and the process? Because yeah. I think, you know, I, we call this Chats with the Starving Artist. I named mm-hmm. my company the Starving Artist Initiative. Mm-hmm. And the Starving Artist is a metaphor. So, right. yeah, you, while you, you could be a writer that's starving mm-hmm. to, you know, hey, I need, I need to get this, this, this gig just so I can pay my bills or I need to get this gig so I can go get something to eat or do whatever. Or you could be somebody that's a creative that's starving you know, working nine to five and starving to get out of your nine to five to create full time or starving for resources, you know what I mean? Or starving for exposure. Like it's a metaphor for a bunch of different things. So it looks like, you know, you were, you had your hat, you found your happiness and your outlet. How, how much of a part was like that to the journey? Man, it's just always remembering like being in that little grave area, fog of your life where you're really still trying to figure out what you want to do. Like you remember... I know that I don't really quote Meek Mill like too often. <laughs> you know, I, nobody I don't. should. I don't really quote him too often, but now he had like the realest, the realest line ever, dog. But on the intro, on the intro, that's the one intro. of his. That's probably one yeah. Of his. I mean, that's his best song. Yeah. You know, that's that's what he's gonna always be remembered for, and that's a dope song to be remembered for. To yeah. be honest with you, but like when the, that joint hitting the club is dog. Yeah, that's one of the all-time great club records. Um, but. It's the first lines of the song where he was like, I used to pray for times like this, the rhyme like this. Like, yeah. that shit, man, that is so real, man. Because there'll be times where you just want to give up. You just be like, man, this ain't even worth it. But, and, and then there'll be times where it's just like, man, you like, you praying and you don't even recognize you praying at that point. Mm. He's like, yo, man, you just give me like one shot. Just give me like one opportunity. Like Eminem and Eight Mile. Like, yeah, <laughs> just give me my one shot, my one opportunity. If you give me this one opportunity, I promise you on everything I love, I will not drop the ball. I will bust my ass if I can get through the door. And that's how I treated it, man. And I still treat it like that, dog. I still, I'm still paranoid that I can lose my job any day. Yeah. And, this, and honestly, this is the best job I've ever had in my life. 
I, I love it to death, man. And so that's what, you know, that's why I want to work hard because it's like 400 of me's behind me just waiting to take my spot. That's a fact. You know, and I don't, I don't want to go back to what I was doing before. Not saying that I, I came from like this incredibly tough place or anything, yeah. but, you know, it was tough mentally. You know, and I think that's the worst type of pain we inflict on ourselves. Like, you start putting expectations on yourself that, you know, that may not even be reasonable at that point in your life. And you start to stress yourself out. And so now you, you realize that now I got this job that I wanted. Now I get to write about anything that I want. Hmm. Like, you know what I mean? And they trusted me. They trusted me to tell these type of stories. They send me places. You know what I mean? They got, like, dope writers on staff. And they trust me with, like, you know, some good stuff, man. I take that very, very high. These, like, editors got, like, 20, 30 years in the game. They seen a lot of writers AP come through. awards now. Yeah. They was, like, they, they send me. They sent me to, like, the damn conventions this year. Like, mm. dude, that covered, like, Republican and Democratic joints. Like, at first I was scared. Not scared. At first I was apprehensive. And because it was like, man, I ain't never really covered, like, politics before. And the, and the editor pulled me aside, Steve Reese, and he was like, like, look, man, like, I ain't asking you to go out there and tell me, like, Trump's, like, numbers amongst, like, the black community or how women feel about Trump. This is before the whole tape thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? They still didn't like him for for whatever reason, but, well, for a lot of reasons. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I was like, man, I don't, I don't know what stories to tell about Donald Trump. You know, ones that, that, ones that I want published, because I could write a lot of things about him. But they was like, nah, man, we want you to go tell the story of, like, what it's like being there. She was like, I don't care nothing about politics. Like, the way you tell, like, the way you add, like, a real-life perspective on your stories, that's what we want you to do. you got to humanize you got to, like, put this stuff in, like, words that when people come back and read it, like, 10, 15 years from now, what was it like going through that that election season between Clinton and, and Trump? Like, people going to want to know what that's like. Yeah. And they was like, no, we want you to add that real flavor. You got boots on the ground. Like, if you were at the protests in Cleveland and you saw, like, you know, white nationalists strapped with rifles around their, around mm. their chest because Ohio is an open carry state and talk about the juxtaposition of that being the same state where Tamir Rice got killed for mm -hmm. having a gun out, the same way they had a gun out, but whatever that, you know, at least yeah. we can go down that road another time. Yeah. But yeah, they was like, no, we want you to tell, like, the human side of this story. I was like, word, I can do that. Mm. And you know what I mean? So I, I, I love doing it. They got me doing it now. Like, I had That's to go right. to the Al Sharpton march yesterday, and <laughs> I had no clue what the story was going to be going to that march, man. I was like, man, I ain't going to be able to get Sharpton because everybody else over there. So I, I just... Participated in the march, mm. you know. What I mean, they marched from the monument to the MLK memorial or around there, like West Potomac Park. Mm -hmm. And I just found some people in the march. It was from New York City. They was protesting against the housing authority up there in the city because they said um, they about to shut down a lot of public housing projects yep. and they're gonna like make them private housing now. Yep. So all those people that live in the hood right now. They gonna get uprooted, and yep. a lot of those people scared, man. It. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know about it. So, and a lot of people, a lot of those people scared. Like they could be homeless any day now. They could be homeless any day, and it's like, it's that's happening, and like nothing is happening. You know, in terms of like trying to fix the issue. So I found them, and I asked them what they were protesting for, and they told me like a pretty deep story. And and obviously, I got to ask them about Trump. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And they, and all of them said the same thing, man. They weren't like big fans of them, but they was like, dog. When you put, like, Democrat, and, and they, they broke it down to me. They said something really, really powerful to me, man. And I always knew it, but to hear it in the way she said it, and I can't, you know what I mean, I can't mimic it because it was just way too powerful. She was just like, look, I'm poor. I've been poor my whole life, and I'm just trying to make it. Hmm. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to make it. And, like, people out here messing with my money, and they about to threaten me, like, kick me out of my house. She was like, Republicans don't like Democrats. Democrats, Democrats don't like Republicans. She was like, neither one of them give, give a damn about the poor. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I've been ignoring my entire life. She was like, I just want somebody to listen to me. I don't give a damn who in office. Mm. And so, you know, like, that's a powerful story that they're telling. Because there's a lot of people protesting for a lot of different causes out there. I just happened to find them, and it was, like, really powerful. Mm. And I was like, man, let me tell that story. And that, and that's, I think that's exactly what he wanted. Mm. You know, he didn't Is even... It, did you publish that already? Mm -hmm. It just went up today. On ESPN? Yeah, yeah, it's on undefeated. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm gonna so, definitely, I'm gonna definitely. Check it should that be on the ESPN homepage, though. For sure. Last two questions. Mm -hmm. What's the? That, I think that's even crazy, in my opinion. That's like, I, get, I mean, you're telling a story, right? Like, it's just, it's amazing to me. Mm -hmm. And it, I'm visualizing like what that exchange like was with that. Like, I'm a visual person, so I'm mm -hmm. like, how did you know how did that all happen? 
What's the craziest in this journey, right? And this, you can talk about ESPN, you could talk about Karen Civil, you can talk about Spoken Section. Mm-hmm. Being a journalist, being behind the scenes, what's the craziest thing you've experienced so far, good or bad, like that you've seen, that you've been like, yo, that was crazy? That Man, it's been Not even that you covered, but that you were just there. You know, because being a journalist, you're in a lot of, and mm-hmm. and, and, and I want to kind of give a, a, an air to, like, protecting, you know, whoever was around. So you don't have to say names right. and whatever like that. You know what I mean? I don't want to put anybody out there. But what's the mm-hmm. crazy, because I, I think it's an interesting journey that you're on and even, like, you know, just being around certain things. was the craziest thing you kind of seen? Mm-hmm. Well, in terms or of just, like, yeah. sheer entertainment, uh, I was in Toronto last year for the All-Star, for the All-Star weekend. And I was there during that dunk contest. Mm. And that drone was crazy. Like, like, the energy in, like, the, the arena was so crazy. Like, the, all the journalists up there, they cut their computers off. They was like, yo, I just got to watch this. You know, I, I'll write it off memory. But I, the, the energy, I've never felt an energy with more arena that, that wasn't a playoff game. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so that was, that was pretty cool to be at, man. Just, man, getting to go to the White House, man. And not, not just go to the White House to visit, but, like, go to the White House and actually, like, cover stuff. Mm. You know what I mean? They sent me on assignment to the White House. I was kind of jealous cool. when I seen that. Like, that I was, was cool, like, man. He there when the cat. I'm not even a Cavs yeah. fan, but I'm like, yo, that's a moment. You're yeah, that's, that's that. a moment. You know what I mean? And they sent, they sent me there because they wanted me to tell that type of story, and I just pray that I can keep doing that. But what, what's the craziest? I think I, I just talked about it, man. Like, being, being there uh, for in Cleveland – a month after the Cavs won the NBA Finals for the Republican National Convention. Mm-hmm. Like, that that really opened my eyes to a lot, man, just seeing the things that you saw out there. And, you know, that was when it really, really hit me. That was like, yo, man, November is pretty big. That was when it really hit me. Like, he could literally become the president of the United and States. Now he is. And then now he is, man. Just seeing people out there with guns, like, openly, like, just putting bullets in their guns, man, because you can do that if you have it licensed. That's why. And then seeing that, man, and... Going to like the inner city over there and being able to tell their story, they were tell, they were saying the same thing the people from New York were saying. Mm. It was now just telling those type of stories that really don't get on the news too often, man. You know, we we hear about we hear about the main subjects in the news, but like, what about the the people who just you know wake up every morning just trying to earn an honest buck? You yeah. know, how how's life changing for them right now? We know how life changing for like celebrities and all that, but it's it's people like you and me just got like stories yeah. that deserve to be told, man. And everybody got a story. Word. Everybody got a dope story too. And I like I like that you're, you're you keep it as a narrative. That's mm-hmm. dope. That's dope. That's I mean, I'm, I mean listen, to be honest, like you're I think you're the first writer that's on the podcast. But like just listening to this journey and just your mm-hmm. approach and stuff is like inspiring to me and has me rethinking how I'm doing a lot of just different things. I'm not pursuing. It's crazy. Like I studied mm-hmm. journalism and marketing. I went in the ad industry. I was a producer, producing commercials. Right. And I never was like I'm not really going to utilize my degree. And then I'm doing this podcast, but it's not, I'm not being a journal. Like, I'm just really, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. It's coming full circle, but um, I think your, your, your lane of storytelling is dope. Last question. Um, I asked everybody this, but w- what does it mean to you to, to be a creative? Man, like freedom, freedom, like freedom, just tell the stories I want to tell, freedom to be able to say whatever I want. Man, a lot of people want that freedom. Hmm. A lot of people really want that freedom. A lot of people deserve it too, but just things in life may happen. And they just don't get the opportunity. And thankfully, I'm getting the opportunity now. And it's just freedom, dog. Like, I get to wake up every morning, not worry about can I do my job effectively. Like, I know I can do this job effectively. I couldn't say that about other jobs I had in the past. I really couldn't. It used to be more as I used to dread going to work. Because hmm. I was like, man, I know I'm not really that great at this. But, and I, and I I think I'm, like, really good now, and I think I'm getting better. And that's what, like, really just motivates me. Like, how much better can I get? Hmm. And, like, you know what I mean? How, how much more can I learn? Because I like learning from people. Yeah. I love learning from people. You know, I just, it's, it's so much more I want to accomplish, man. And so, like, now, like, what I'm doing in my career was, it's just, it's just giving me the opportunity to just grow in ways that, man, I tell you again, I did not think was possible for the longest time. Hmm. And I love it, man. I love telling stories, man. I love being able to, Fuck with the senses in some type of way. You definitely you know? are. Word. So. Word. I appreciate mm-hmm. that, man. I appreciate you taking this time, you know, even after this. It's yeah. Resonating with what we yeah. just witnessed. But um, I appreciate you taking the time, man. I'm grateful to have you here. And appreciate even grateful it, to Thank just you. watch the journey and, you know, just kind of share and just be excited. Even if I yeah. might not talk to you every day or we just mm-hmm. talk on Sundays when the Cowboys yeah. play, like, 
it's just no, it's awesome, all love, like, man. yo, I know this dude from the second floor of my dorm <laughs> when we were 18, 17, 18, well, I was 18, but 18 years yeah. old, like, you know what yeah, I mean? It's like, cool, it's man. crazy. And and just kind of watching the journey, man. So I'm just grateful to, 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 to have you as a brother, man, and just watch and have you in the circle and just watch you continue to go and, and just inspire people, man. And yeah, man, it's good to I'm have ex- good people in your circle, yeah, man. Yeah, they yeah. keep I'm you ex- motivated. Yeah, I'm excited for what's to come. Yeah. Where, where can we find you at on social? What's your handles? Oh, uh, yeah, man. Uh, Twitter, at Justin Tinsley. Instagram, at Justin Tinsley. And I don't really know how you find people on Facebook, but if you type my name, <laughs> man, you'll, you'll see me on there. Word. Yeah. And for, what, what, what actually is your title at ESPN? Not, I don't like titles. I think mm-hmm. it boxes people in. I, that's why I asked, what does it mean to you be the creative? What's your creative discipline versus, like, yeah. what's your title? Because, like, who really cares? But so that people know it gives yeah. a little structure to I guess your responsibilities. Officially, it's, like, staff writer, but it's more so, like, a sports and culture, like, reporter. Definitely. You know what I mean? Because that, that's what I really that focus fits. on. That fits. That actually fits. Mm-hmm. Without placing you in the box, like, that's mm-hmm. a perfect box that you, somebody could put you in. Absolutely. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you again, brother. At Justin Tinsley on Instagram, Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have that in the show notes. And if you want to hit Justin up, you want to hit me up, don't hesitate to reach out. If you need some help creatively with something, definitely shoot me an email. Ian at END.co. I'll have that in the show notes as well. And again, stay tuned for a lot more dope interviews and episodes coming with more dope creatives here in 2017. And, and again, thanks to Justin, man. I really, really appreciate it. And right, thank you for having me on. That's the coming. You guys haven't read any of his articles or any of his stories. Be Please. sure to check them out. Go on ESPN. I'm sure if you just type in Justin Tinsley, all his stuff will come up. So yeah. uh, that's an easy way to find it. And the Marvin Gaye story is really, really good. I mean, everything is really, really good. And that's yeah. not a bias. That's just a fact. So Go read the Marvin Gaye story, too. Yeah. yeah. Word. Yeah, yeah. Read the marijuana story, too, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All of them. All yeah. of them. And yeah. give, give your feedback in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Write some comments. Let us know what you think, man. Definitely appreciate it. And until next time, we'll see you guys later.